Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Thanks for tuning in. Each and every Saturday, I'm telling all your friends. I'm an orthopedic surgeon for 32 years. Wanted to be a carpenter, just like my dad. But my mom was a nurse, and she said, Robbie, do me a favor. First, you should be a doctor. Then you can do whatever you want. Damn right. So here I am. I'm a carpenter in the body, and for ten and a half years, hosting this radio show. The hell yeah. Which have incredible numbers of followers and listeners, and I want to thank each and every one of you. Whether you're in your car, at home, it's a beautiful thing that we get to do each and every Saturday for two hours. It's really special. Each week is a topic depending on the guests that I have. The guests come from the world of medicine. Like today, we'll have a veterinarian, Dr. Liz Hicks. I can't wait to talk to her. Last week, we talked to Mark Spitz. In my opinion, the greatest athlete in my lifetime. Inspired me. A Jewish athlete, a Jewish swimmer, and the story he told about his mustache and why he had it at the 72 Olympics. You don't want to miss it. Listen to the podcast. Carlos Saisu did a beautiful job putting it together on social media as well for the station. We'll talk to doctors, we talk to athletes, and we also talk to artists. Because my life as a sculptor in marble, in understanding the lives of artists, particularly Michelangelo, my hero, that's the world I like to live in. And they're all connected, art, sports, surgery. So the topic today, because of Dr. Liz Hicks, is that bond between the human and the beast, and particularly the horse. And when I thought all week about that connection of art, sports, and surgery, and that bond between man and horse, one of the most important shows as a kid for me growing up was this one. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Red. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Red. A talking horse. My personal connection to that show was doing knee surgery on the man who wrote that song, Ray Evans. I love this man. He was a big softball player, and he was bone on bone in his knee, and he wanted to keep playing softball. So just like William Shatner, who's called into this show, who was 85 and wanted to still ride his horses, and I did both of his hip surgeries, 
Ray Evans comes to my office and says, I still want to play softball, Dr. Clapper. You got to fix my knee. And I did. And one day I'm going to my office, taking the elevator from the ground floor to the third floor, like I do for 32 years. And I see driving into the parking lot is a white 1961 Studebaker. Who's getting out of the car? Ray Evans coming to see me. And I asked him, why do you drive a Studebaker from 1961? He said, because they sponsored the Mr. Ed show. And I wrote the song and they gave me a car. Listen to Alan Young, who played Wilbur, talk about Studebaker. And we sold it into syndication first. Most shows go into first runs and then go into syndication. Ours, we backed into television with that show. Did syndication first, and the second year they found the rating was so good that um, it was sold to the network. CBS bought it. Studebaker Corporation said they'd put up half the money if the dealers put up the other half. And so this man, Steve Mudge, created this concept. Each dealer throughout America, when he sold a car, would put $50 <laughs> of that profit into a fund. And that's how they financed the Mr. Ed show. Isn't that amazing? Listen to Alan Young talk more about the show, but about the Bond, the horse trainer. And all the folks in that Bond that developed between this beautiful Palomino horse and the crew, particularly him as the other actor. I used to work in the writing sessions, and he'd come in, say to Lou Derman, the head writer, Lou. Um, have the horse say, blah, 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 whatever. Lou said, Ed wouldn't say that. <laughs> you said, what the hell? I'll make him say it, that's all. Said, no, Lou was very, very stickler for truth. He said, the horse would not talk like that. <laughs> he said, George would say, oh, Helen, give it to Wilbur. <laughs> and listen to who the voice of the horse was. Alan Rocky Lane. Alan Young telling you how this all came about. The guy doing the voice, Rocky Lane, was right on set, watching. And as soon as Ed began to move his mouth, Rocky started to talk. And so I'm kind of childlike, I guess. I suddenly believed he was talking. You have to do that as an actor. You say, I, I didn't see Rocky, I just heard that horse talking to me. Rocky Lane had been a big Western star. I mean, big. Uh, Alan Rocky Lane. And he was on his uppers because Westerns had kind of faded away. And he'd faded with them because he'd been a star years before. And he was sleeping on Lester Hilton's couch. Wow, listen to this. So we're taking photograph uh, publicity pictures. And suddenly we heard this voice come out. Hey, Lester, where'd you keep the coffee? And everybody looked. They said, That's Ed's voice. Well, when the show clicked, um, Rocky came to Arthur Lubin and said, um, I'd like credit for this. So Al Simon said, well, you know, if you look at the credits, it says Mr. Ed played by himself. <laughs> Wilbur gets credit, but Ed is doing it himself, and the kids believe that. So we can't change it now. So they gave him a raise, and he was happy. <laughs> How did you make the, the horse look like he was talking? I started a big lie. I said, well, when you were a kid, did you ever have get peanut butter stuck under your lip? Oh, that's how it's done. So I never really lied. I just asked him a question. But that wasn't true at all. He used a soft nylon thread put under the lip. And then he had the end going down the bridle. And he just used to give it a little tug. And Ed would try to get rid of it. That was his cue. And then 
he laid a crop across Ed's forelegs, and that was the cue to stop. That was it. But the second year, we could hardly stop him from talking. As soon as he heard my voice stop, his lips would start to go. But you had to be careful with that horse. You can't put him into danger. If there was something difficult, Lou would always phone up Lester and say, Lester, can you do this? And Les allowed as he could do it. And uh, if something was a little difficult, Lester might make a suggestion that, well, maybe you could do it this way, and Lou would rewrite it. We had a scene in the car wash, which was a very dangerous scene, as we found out later. And um, Lester got him to go through the car wash with all the cars and get soaped up and washed down. And just Ed took it all. But Lester said, that was dangerous. If that horse had slipped, I'd have punched Arthur Lubin right in the nose. That bond between the horse and the man. And here's the sweetest one. Because the blonde hair that Alan Young had, the horse was a Palomino blonde color. Well, they were going to get a different horse. Alan Young says, you're not getting a different horse. You dye my hair so that the contrast is there. I love that horse. I would do anything for Ed. Listen to this. My hair was, was rather blondish. In fact, I was kind of the same tone as, as Ed. So when I walked past Ed, my head would disappear for the camera. So they dyed my hair sort of a reddish dark. So everybody thought I was a dark-haired man until I quit the show. And uh, I could let my hair grow natural. But I, I would do anything for Ed. That bond. What about in sports? Ah, this is what I learned for today's show. The whole world of rodeo riding, well, they have their Michael Jordan, the greatest to ever do it. His name is Ty Murray. That bond between horse and man is exemplified in a cowboy, Ty Murray, because he made a living being the best at riding wild horses, broncos. Well, on his farm in Texas, he decided he would start a cemetery for some of these great horses that he rode because of how strongly he felt about them, that bond between man and horse. Listen to Ty Murray talking about this little cemetery he created on his ranch in Texas for the horses. You know, I didn't really have plans to have a uh, buck and horse retirement program. It, it all started with one horse named Rusty who was arguably one of the greatest saddle broncs that's ever lived, in my opinion. He was a little bitty horse, he, he, he was ugly. If he was in a string of a thousand head, he'd be the last one you'd pick to be a ranked bucking horse. And he was just an amazing horse. Back in about 91, 92, he was getting, not getting to the end of his trail. He was past his, his prime in bucking. And I called Harry Volden, I said, hey Harry, I said, oh, old Rusty, he's deserved a good retirement. I said, why don't you send him down down here to me and I'll just take care of him. He sent Rusty and he also sent Hermes Worm here. Who, they were running mates. And they were probably the, the they, they were a tight knit uh, couple of horses. Boy, they stuck right together. They had a lot of personality. Hermes Worm ran the pastures for a week all through the night nickering when, when Rusty died. He, for a solid week, I could hear him running around my house looking for that other horse. Ty Murray could appreciate the love he had for Rusty but also could appreciate the bond Rusty had with Hermes Worm. There is a bond. There's a love affair. You have to be perceptive enough to it. And Dr. Liz Hicks coming up at 8.15 is going to explain it to us. But listen more to Ty Murray. Then the next one was 
was Alibi, and that was another uh, really great sa saddle bronc of, of Harry Vold's. And then it just kind of be started becoming a thing. Miss KC, she was just a great little mare that she was a first place horse every time. Out of the 11 horses that are buried right here, there's a, a hundred NFR qualifications. I love this horse. They somehow love, because they're nasty, these horses, trying to tame them and ride them. They call them either the devil or Satan. This one's called Satan's Own. Uh, Satan's Own was another mare. She actually came to me as an old lady, and she was in foal, and nobody knew it. And I came down here one morning, and she had a little filly standing beside her, about the size of a jackrabbit. <laughs> and none of us could believe it. And I called Fred Dornkamp, and I said, hey, this, uh, you're not going to believe it, but Satan's got a, <laughs> had a colt. <laughs> but listen, the colt, the offspring, doesn't have the fire in its blood that the mom had. And uh, supposedly it was by a, a high-powered bucking horse stud out of Canada, and she was one of the best barebacks there was, and, and the, but the filly didn't want to buck at all. I raised her up for about four years, and she didn't have a bone in her body that wanted to buck. My favorite of all these horses for 20 years, from the 40s to the 60s, was called Devil's Dream. And Devil's Dream, you'll listen to this story where you can appreciate actually how the horse feels. Listen to this story. Devil's Dream was a black mare that came off the British Columbia Ranch known as the Douglas Lake Cattle Company. She weighed 11 to 1,200 pounds and was a very strong saddle bronc. Her bucking career lasted from her start in the late 1940s to the late 1960s. Several of the bronc riders who made a successful or unsuccessful try at riding her offered their comments. At times, Devil Dream was shown to have a nasty temper. On several occasions, while waiting in the chute, she reached over and grabbed some unsuspecting cowboy by the arm and mashed down with her teeth. She often bit so hard the cowboy she bit would turn white as the pain drained the blood from his face. But listen to this story. Talk about, this is from the horse's perspective of what she thinks about man. You better recognize that it's another living, breathing, thinking being you're dealing with. And that's the life of a veterinarian, understanding how the animal feels. To stay in order with the rodeo program, the saddle broncs were all tied in the holding pins behind the chutes. At the OMAC Stampede, a crowd gathered to watch as Leo Muma caught each horse with his well-known overhand loop. <clears throat> On this occasion, Leo caught Devil's Dream, slipped the halter onto her head, snapped the lead shank, and handed her to Russell Scriver. Russell tried to lead her off in a rush, and she refused by backing away. And this Russell was not very nice to this horse. He lost his temper and lashed out with another lead shank with a heavy snap attached hitting her several times on the head and neck. Russell finally got her tied to a strong post and left her to stew. Two hours later, it was time to lead the saddle broncs into the chutes. Several men were leading the horses into the chutes. As Russell ran back for another, he met Devil's Dream. Russell had forgotten about the earlier incident, but she had not. As he ducked under her neck and began to untie the bowline knot, she reared back and hit him with both front feet and she did not quit. She bit and pawed with intent to do bodily harm until another man was able to drag Russell to safety. Good for the horse! 
That's right. He was mean to you. He smacked you in the head. You go and knock him down and do bodily harm. They have feelings too. And we'll learn more about it from my favorite veterinarian, Dr. Liz Hicks, joining us next here on the Weekend Warrior Show on 710 ESPN. Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook Know Your Knee Post. One of the most complicated areas of the body. ACL, PCL, MCL, patella supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow! Your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better with the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Sedano, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Sometimes you can call me Smokey. Sometimes you can call me Rocky. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Today, I want to be Tito, Dr. Tito Clapper. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Steve Paulette, wild horses couldn't drag me away from you on Saturday mornings. The great Rolling Stones. I'm so excited to talk to my next guest. She's my favorite veterinarian, the great Dr. Liz Hicks. Liz, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. This is a wonderful way to start a Saturday. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I love it. All right. Before we begin, I want the Weekend Warrior Nation, and there's so many of them out there, to learn a little bit about who you are and how did you make this dream come true to become a vet. Where did you grow up? What did your dad do for a living? Your mom? Tell us the story. All right. Um, I I have to start with being a veterinarian is one of the most interesting careers from the perspective of there are very few people I meet whose own stories don't begin with. I was going to be a veterinarian. Um, so I, <laughs> I consider myself so blessed to have actually stumbled my way through the barriers and into the field. But um, I grew up in Colorado and um, my dad was a criminal defense attorney and my mom was a pastor. And that sounds like two wildly different uh, wow. dinner table conversations, but they were remarkably similar, if wow. you believe that. And wow. uh, I... I loved animals and I just desperately wanted to be in their presence, whether it was catching mice in a barn or catching snakes, much to my mother's regret, um, and petting horses and dragging them all around, drive by the field. We have to stop and pet the horse. Um, And I remember saying one day to my mom that I was going to be an animal doctor because I loved animals and I didn't like people. And my mom taught me the best lesson I have ever learned before or since. And she said, sweetie, animals don't come in on their own. You'd better figure out how to like people, too. (laughs) 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 
And uh, thus began a perception that was so different than my childhood one where I was able to go, you know what, mom, I got to figure out how to do both. I have to figure out how to communicate both with my future patients and with the people who love them. Your mom was wise. Brought me through the journey. Your mom was wise. Yeah. Oh, my. I mean, sometimes the moms, my mother told me, Robbie, say yes to everything in life. Don't worry. The world will tell you no enough. You know, this is why I get up Saturday mornings after spending, you know, the whole week being an orthopedic surgeon. Like, I got time for this, but I I just say yes to everything because she's right. Don't worry. You'll, you won't be able to get up one day and then you can't do it. But listen to how your mom. <laughs> the what, world told you no. <laughs> right. Your, your mom was wise. That's fantastic. So where did you go to high school? Where did you go to college? Where did you go to vet school? Yeah, so uh, being that I had a pastor for a mother, I went to a very small little school in Denver called Denver Christian High School. still exists, still Mm -hmm. plodding along today. Hmm. Um, And then uh, went through a little phase where I thought, I don't think I'm going to be a veterinarian. I think I'm going to be an MD or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So I went off to the University of Colorado at Boulder. Mm -hmm. And uh, within one year, listening to my friends at Colorado State talk about taking equine science classes and animal behavior. And I just went, nope, I did this wrong. And I switched gears, went over to Colorado State, where I would spend the next 10 years through undergrad and veterinary school and uh, moving into an internship where I headed out to California and had the amazing experience to work on some Olympic team horses, um, work out in the hills with some Hollywood stars, and uh, got to meet some of the most interesting people in all sorts of walks of life and and fields. And boy, was my mom right. The the animals were wonderful, but the people were amazing. In college, let's go back to Colorado State. Did you have a favorite teacher, a favorite course you took that you still remember to this day? Oh, Mr. Adams, he was so, so hard. He was so hard. He, I had a statistics class, Mm. just kind of one of those random core classes that wasn't supposed to be the driver of this. And he, he says to everybody at the beginning of his class, he says, folks, I need to share something with you. You guys are here because you have to be. And you think this is part of your core system and you think that you're going to just get your A and walk out of here. And I need every one of you to understand that I don't just pass out A's. You will work for it because whether you recognize it or not, this will become foundational and relevant in your life. And I thought to myself, I'm going to hate this guy. And over the rest of the year, he proceeded to take a subject I could never have realized the value of and teach it with such passion and such relevance that, I mean, I had to work my tickets off to get that A, um, which he did give, by the way. Um, But it was, he was, he was straight. He was honest. He didn't take any BS from anybody. And he made me fall in love with math. Hmm. I don't know. I always found that really cool. (laughs) Passion. I think two things you want to do with your life. You want to have passion. I don't care what the subject is. And you want to keep learning till the day you die, and that's what keeps you young. So Absolutely. learning and passion, you that that's just awesome. And how about in veterinary school? Was there someone that you would kind of say was, was mentor, your mentor, if you will, or someone that you really clinged on to? 
So we have, the way Colorado State is run, we have a group of professors and some of whom you see earlier in your career, um, they'll they'll lead you through classroom learning, which is the way the program is designed to start. And then you start moving into clinical learnings and rotations. And there's some crossover and there's some, uh, let's call it differentiation. But the very beginning, Dr. Anna we all, you know, there's 130 of us, and it's, it's fairly difficult to get into veterinary school. So by the time you, you get in, you don't necessarily know whether the people sitting next to you are going to become your best friends for the rest of your journey through this industry or your competition mm-hmm. through the rest of your journey in this industry. And mm-hmm. I was blessed to be part of a group that I genuinely just saw, saw camaraderie between mm-hmm. everyone, and it started with day one of class and Dr. Anna drawing this beautiful diagram in 14 different colors of dry erase marker. I didn't even know they existed. And everybody was sitting there with these pens and I'll never forget it. And if you found anyone in Colorado State who went to school when I did, everyone will remember these pens. They were these multicolored pens and you would click them to change whether you're using red, green, or blue. And every time Dr. Anna would change a marker color on the board. A hundred and thirty pens would go. (laughs) 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 And I swear the woman discovered all of these colors purely to torture us. (laughs) (laughs) And she did it with a smile on her face and a grace and a positivity that has stuck with me to this day. Wow. I want to take advantage of having you on the radio with me right now, Dr. Liz Hicks, my favorite veterinarian. My teacher in orthopedic surgery, Dr. Ranawat, used to say, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. And I want you to listen. The ears don't hear what the mind doesn't know to a couple of sound bites. And I just want you to explain to us what you hear. So this is from... The TV show, Mr. Ed, this is Alan Young talking about how they were going to get rid of the horse because the color of his hair and the horse matched and you lost the top of his head when they did these scenes. But listen to him say, I would do anything for Mr. Ed, which is really what I want to talk about today, which is this love affair you develop in that bond between man and beast. My hair was was rather blondish. I was kind of the same tone as, as Ed. So when I walked past Ed, my head would disappear for the camera. So they dyed my hair sort of a reddish dark. So everybody thought I was a dark-haired man until I quit the show. And uh, I could let my hair grow natural. But I, I would do anything for Ed. How do you like that? He's not letting them get rid of that horse. If I've got to look a different way, I'm going to do that. What is it that you see in that bond between the human and the horse? You know, I think that, uh, and it, what I love about, about listening there is Alan Young was a man. And it is so interesting, in my, in my opinion, in this particular case, to listen to a man talk about the sacrifice and the adjustment because women, and particularly little girls, are so driven to just this call to horses. They just love them. Little girls, horses, there's a thing there. 
And it's very touching to listen to this man say, nope, that's the sacrifice I got to make to be with this horse. The horse wins. He's the star, and I'll come along for the ride and make it possible. And I think that it is the power of horses to draw people in, whether they're, it's their independence or their gentleness or their curiosity. It, it's quieting and appealing to, to people who have had a, the luck of being exposed to them. And when you watch someone watching horses, I feel like that is really where you, you see that. If you've ever so, seen somebody just stand on the side of a fence, one leg up on a rail, arms cast over the top, they're watching horses, mm. and there's a piece to it. Um, and I genuinely think it is something that these animals can evoke in us that is a place that not many other pieces of nature can draw us into. Mm. Um, if I have... you'll allow me, I, I, I have a, a small personal story to share on that, yeah. that note. Um, I feel like I had my own, my own version of Mr. Ed um, where the horse was, this was it. We, we had to work with this horse, and I desperately wanted to be the person to do that. And, and this horse had been brought in, and he had not had any positive handling with anyone. Um, as he was being physically forced into this paddock, he quite literally did a backflip away from people, you know, perfectly willing to kill himself, to get away from the people that he was interacting with. Wow. And that was this poor animal's first exposure to humans. And uh, I, I worked with the owners of the barn and said, hey, I, I really want to, to try to rehab this horse. And um, over several months, I would go inside his little paddock and I would sit in the corner. That's as far as I could go because just me sitting in the corner, he was 20 feet away at the other end, literally shaking mm. in terror. He would mm. sweat, he would shake, just terrified. And over months, he just couldn't resist. He'd come a little closer. Hmm. He'd come a little closer. And that deep calmness and gentleness and curiosity ultimately led him to start sniffing around this corner where this crazy lady would sit every day. And eventually that horse became my buddy and we were able to work together. And uh, he ultimately became a competition horse. You could put him in a trailer. You could take him anywhere. You could ride him. He, he was a horse-showing animal and could work with other people. Um, and, but it truly was the situation of people having to decide that the horse wins. The horse needs their person. They pick somebody. That's who they want. And now we just got to figure out how to make it work for the horse. You know, God made us all. That's the common bond that we have. Listen, I want to take a break, pay some bills. Can you just hang on? Because I don't want to let you go. I've... I'm just just <laughs> listening to your talk. It may be about horses, but what you're talking about is how we should live our lives. And that's what's so special to me about you. All right, just hang on a second, Dr. Liz Hicks. Warriors, coming up next, we'll continue with a story. And I cannot wait to pick your brain about the soundbite of Ty Murray and what a horse feels about another horse. Coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? 
Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar, and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Google the Guggenheim. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Back about 18 and 25, I left Tennessee very much alive. I never would have made it through the Arkansas mud if I hadn't been riding on a Tennessee stud. <laughs> Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. We're talking about man and horses. And we're also talking about women and horses. Because my guest is the great Dr. Liz Hicks, a veterinarian who really knows more than anybody else I know, about what goes through the mind of a horse. Liz, I want to play a soundbite of Ty Murray, the Michael Jordan of horseback riding and bronco riding. But this is a story that he talks about a bond between two horses in his ranch in Texas. I want you to listen to it and tell us what that bond is like between the animals. You know, I didn't really have plans to have a uh, bucking horse retirement program. It it all started with one horse named Rusty, who was arguably one of the greatest saddle broncs that's ever lived, in my opinion. He was a little bitty horse. He he, he was ugly. If he was in a string of a thousand head, he'd be the last one you'd pick to be a ranked bucking horse. And he was just an amazing horse. Back in about 91, 92, he was getting not getting to the end of his trail. He was past his, his prime in bucking. And I called Harry Volden. I said, hey, Harry, I said, oh, old Rusty, he's deserved a good retirement. I said, why don't you send him down, down here to me and I'll just take care of him. He sent Rusty and he also sent Hermes Worm here. Who, they were running mates. And they were probably the, the they, they were a tight knit uh, couple of horses. Boy, they stuck right together. They had a lot of personality. Hermes Worm ran the pastures for a week all through the night nickering when when rusty died for a solid week i could hear him running around my house looking for that other horse do the horses love each other liz hicks a hundred percent yes um you know there's there's no doubt that these guys form relationships and um there are there are interesting studies done about you know, putting, putting animals together in groups and, you know, this group all works together and everybody's fine. And then you introduce another horse and it shakes up the entire dynamic and new relationships form and, and bonds break and shift and change and pair bonding is what we would call this. And it is extremely common that even in the midst of a herd, you can have two horses that have pair bonded together. And that isn't a, you know, that isn't necessarily a mating pair bond. That's just an emotional choice. I choose you. You are my buddy. Hmm. And uh, that, that description, I, I, I can hear that horse in my mind because that description, that whinny, that cry, um, anyone who's been around horses knows that cry when the other half of a pair bond is taken away. 
Hmm. And, you know, in this case, it was the ultimate separation. But just sometimes, you know, somebody's got to go see the vet. Somebody's got to go to the farrier to get new shoes put on. And separating them often leads to that degree of anxiety and agitation because they just love being together. Well, here's another soundbite I want to play for you where there's cruelty involved, which is just something I cannot tolerate. But I just love that the horse can enact some revenge as well. This was a Bronco horse named Devil's Dream, who from the 1940s to the 1960s was like legendary, like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar of horses. And this horse did not appreciate being put in its place. And when the opportunity came about, had a good memory. Listen to this. To stay in order with the rodeo program, the saddle broncs were all tied in the holding pins behind the chutes. At the OMAC stampede, a crowd gathered to watch as Leo Mumaw caught each horse with his well-known overhand loop. <clears throat> On this occasion, Leo caught Devil's Dream, slipped the halter onto her head, snapped the lead shank, and handed her to Russell Scriver. Russell tried to lead her off in a rush, and she refused by backing away. He lost his temper and lashed out with another lead shank with a heavy snap attached, hitting her several times on the head and neck. Russell finally got her tied to a strong post and left her to stew. Two hours later, it was time to lead the saddle broncs into the chutes. Several men were leading the horses into the chutes. As Russell ran back for another, he met Devil's Dream. Russell had forgotten about the earlier incident, but she had not. As he ducked under her neck, and began to untie the bowline knot, she reared back and hit him with both front feet, and she did not quit. She bit and pawed with intent to do bodily harm until another man was able to drag Russell to safety. Horses remember, right? You know, the adage is an elephant remembers, but I assure you horses' memories are just <laughs> as long. <laughs> I'm just so happy that the horse got revenge on this punk who, who tried to beat him up. And and they will. I mean, there is a, a fascinating thing to watch when you look at behavioral components of horses and and the different interactions. They just as they know each other, they also know us. And, you know, clearly in this case, we had a, a negative interaction and a bad relationship between these two. And you're absolutely right. She remembered and the argument wasn't over <laughs> from her perspective. Wow. He may have walked away, but they were not done having that disagreement. <laughs> In her mind. So, Liz, tell us before I let you go the funny story between you and Michelle Pfeiffer, the actress's horse. Yes. So, I am I'm at a horse show, and um, at, back in the day, Michelle's daughter Claudia was quite a little equestrian and riding, and she and her family had their horses there, and um, somebody wasn't feeling well. One of the horses wasn't feeling well. And as we talk about arguably the, the most intimate action for a veterinarian and a horse or a cow, as some of you may have seen, is sometimes we have to check out their insides. And the way that a veterinarian gets to do this is by going to the rear of the horse and literally going up the rear to check out their insides. Uh So I'm standing there with my arm inside Michelle Pfeiffer's daughter's horse, and she comes walking around the corner to see this lovely display and just makes this little chirp and says, oh, my, and walks off looking quite embarrassed and overwhelmed. And um, it it was, I, I laughed 
quite hard that day and many years later continue to giggle at my oh my interaction. <laughs> well, listen, you know, this is a topic that might be foreign to most people. But number one, you're able to bring it to us in a way that we all can appreciate because of the humanity that we see in our four-legged friends, if you will, and all of them. But the story of how you made a little girl's dream come true and become what you imagined for yourself is inspiring to so many people. And I say this with great pride that Clay Hicks, uh, your husband, is a lucky man. I want to thank you so much for getting up early and teaching us about this world that is right next to us between man and horse. Thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, talk soon. That's the great Dr. Elizabeth Hicks. Wow, the world, the bond between man and horse. It is special. Coming up next, the clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. I left Tennessee very much alive. I never would have made it through the Arkansas mud if I hadn't been riding on a Tennessee stud. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like follow, and enjoy a wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. What's up, it's LZ. Look, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. 7 and 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. At 42 years old, you know what your new nickname is for me? <laughs> start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You're not Matthew from Santa Monica anymore. You're Mr. Preop. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710 home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Say, doctor, is there nothing I could take? I say, doctor, to relieve the belly of dust. Doctor, is there nothing I could take? I say, doctor, Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Let me get this straight. Put the lime in the coconut. Put the lime in the coconut. Put the lime in the corona. That's where you're going to put it. Not in the coconut. Such a beautiful person, the great Dr. Elizabeth Hicks. You can just listen to that bond, that love affair, that animals really can teach us, that humans can't teach us. Pay attention. And don't forget to have a bear claw from Good Time Donuts in Ventura. All right, the lines are all lit up. The number's 877-710-ESPN. Let's go to Khalif. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper. Um, so I'm nice. 36. 36. What do you do for a living, Khalif? I, I'm a federal grant officer, so I work in research at uh, USC. Nice. And uh, Yeah, yeah. And uh, I spent most of my life playing basketball. Uh, as I got older, I put on a little weight and, and went from a, a weekend warrior to a every other weekend warrior. But in my mind, I was still a daily warrior. You know? um, Where did and, you grow uh, up? Where did you go to high school? What did your dad do for a living? Tell me your story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My dad, my dad's a musician wow. by trade. Wow. Uh, uh, and uh, he was a, he taught music. Um, he played saxophone. Um, and my brother is actually a really 
successful jazz musicians. So he and my, my, my brother and my dad both, both were in the jazz or still in the jazz, making wow. a good living off jazz. Wow. Uh, my mom was a chemistry teacher. Wow. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, two, so you two grew teachers. up in a Jewish household, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we, we <laughs> pretty much, right? If you didn't um, bring an A home, like when I would bring home a test and I got a 95 and the rest of the class got 70s, my mother would say, the Jewish mother, Robbie, what happened right. to the other five points? I go, Mom, everybody else got a 70. I got a 95. I know. Exactly. What happened to yeah. the other five Mom. points? Was that your mother? Yep, yep. She still tells me, well, why did you finish your pre-med? You know, why, why, did you, why did you do the pre-med? You know, to this day at 36. So, um, I, love, I don't know your mother. I love your mother, okay? And you tell her that from me. Absolutely. Do you listen absolutely. to the show every Saturday? I, I love the show. I've been listening since you were a guest on Max and Marcellus. I was like, this guy's great. I would oh love to get on the show. This is my first time getting on. Wow, Max and Marcellus. Listen, both of those men are so near and dear to me to this day. Uh, whenever, God forbid, they have family or their selves, they hurt themselves, I my phone starts blowing up. Dr. Clapper, you know, Max Kellman, I'm in an airport right now. I think I just exactly. twisted my ankle. Dr. Clapper, what should I do? Max, relax. This is, <laughs> It's just great. But I give them yeah. a lot of credit because they're the reason that I'm really doing the radio because they would call me with injuries and I would go, all right, I don't really think they are understanding. Let me give you a clapper vision. And that's how it really was born, was guest appearing on the Max and Marcellus show here on this station. Yep. And it ultimately led to this show that I'm doing now. So, the, wow, you're a longtime listener. Thank you yeah, so much yeah. for all the years. I appreciate it. Listen, tell me how I can help you. What's up? Yeah, so I was doing a... Uh a staircase workout. You know, there, there's these stairs in Culver City. They're pretty mm -hmm. popular. Right. And I thought it was a good idea to do my cardio there. Right. And I was kind of going kind of fast, and I felt a sharp pain in my left knee. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went and got an MRI, mm -hmm. and the MRI showed small focal cartilage defects mm -hmm. over the posterior weight-bearing surface of the medial and lateral femoral condyle. Right. Okay. And they, they measured about four to five millimeters. Right. And... The question I have is, I have two daughters, and they're like, "Daddy, when are you going to put us on your shoulders again? When when can we right. when can we run on the beach again?" And and all this kind of stuff. And I'm I'm wondering, should I get the surgery? No, fix no, 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 no. This is what you're going to do. So let's first give you a clap revision of what you're describing there. The knee joint is made up of three bones that are coming together. The femur, the thigh bone, the tibia, the shin bone, and then don't forget the bone in the front, which is the patella, the kneecap. The, there are confusing enough two kinds of cartilage in your knee, not just one. The shock absorber cushion, the cartilage that's made of the same material your ear and your nose is made of, fibro cartilage, a rubbery cartilage, the same stuff your discs in your back are, are made of, for example, is the meniscus, and there's two of them. There's the big toe side of the joint and the little toe side of your knee joint. The big toe side is called medial. The, the little toe side of your knee joint is called lateral. There's a medial and a lateral meniscus, this rubber shock absorber cushion cartilage. But there's a second kind of cartilage, which is apropos to you because that's what's injured, and that is the articular cartilage. This is the other kind of cartilage in the knee that coats the end of the bone. And my clapper vision is, in your kitchen, you've got two layers to the floor. You have the linoleum, which is the surface, 
and then you have the plywood, the wood that's underneath the linoleum. They're both considered your floor in your in your kitchen, but it's two different kinds of surfaces. The surface of the linoleum and the wood that's underneath. What your MRI is describing, we can thank your dad and your mom for this because this is genetic. It has nothing to do with the basketball or anything else. What you are describing is termites, if you will, that are in the wood underneath the linoleum. You actually don't have a problem with your linoleum, but it's starting to sag a little bit because termites are eating the wood that's underneath it. Does that make sense? Yeah, got okay. it. Okay. Now, I got to protect you, Khalif, from the the guys out there and women out there who want to stick a cortisone shot in your knee, that want to stick Synvisc and stem cells for $10,000 and all this other stuff. It's my opinion, and that's what it is, to stay away from that. Be holistic. You're still young. You don't need an operation. It's not going to help. You, what you need to do is recognize that what's causing any kind of pain in your knee right now is the equivalent of a blister. Blisters hurt. If you clip too many roses in the backyard, you're going to get a blister in your hand from those pruning shears in your hand. Well, what do you do? You keep clipping roses because guess what happens? The blister becomes a callus. But it's a mistake for you to continue to continue to run on it. Because you're only going to make the problem bigger, in my opinion. At your age, and this is the time to switch, you need to strengthen the muscles above your knee and below your knee, the quad, the hamstring, the calf muscle, by investing. It's your When's your birthday? October 23rd. All right, early birthday present. I want you to go online and buy yourself a Schwinn spinning bike. You don't have to buy a Peloton for thousands of dollars. That's fine if you want to. But a Schwinn spinning bike, you can even buy a used one. Your wife will benefit from it as well. Three days a week for a half an hour, I need you to ride that bike to make the quad, the hamstring, the the stationary bike, the quad, the hamstring, the calf. You're going to make them stronger with a nurturing exercise so that you can be the dad you want to be to run with those daughters of yours that are beautiful and need you to be with them. But you need to do nurturing exercises so that you can actually do the abuse, which is running. And not running to stay in shape, but running to be the dad, the coach, whatever you need to be for your daughters. Stop doing treadmill, lunges, squats, stair machines, or weights, and begin to do stationary bike, elliptical, or the pool. The book I wrote with Lindy Yui is called Heal Your Knees. Treat yourself. Get a copy. We give the money to the homeless. That is... The best advice I can give you, be holistic and not have surgery, okay? Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Clark. All right, Khalif, you're a total stranger to me, but you're a beautiful person who's been following me forever, and I can't thank you enough. I want you to find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Absolutely. All right, God bless you, and thank you so much for calling. All right, Warriors, let's talk about next week. Next week, I have a special guest because this town of Los Angeles is filled with people. When you ask them, what do you want to do with your life? Just like Liz Hicks recognized she wanted to be a veterinarian. Well, this town is filled with people who want to be a writer, write television, write for movies, write books. It's not so easy to be a writer, but everybody says they want to be one, and everybody thinks they, they, every restaurant you go to, that waitress, that waiter, trust me, they've written a screenplay. Everybody's a writer. 
But there are tricks to doing it. There's a knowledge base to do it. There's a craft to it. And for me, the best writer in Los Angeles is Scott Shepard. And he's going to be my guest next week. And I'm going to pick his brain. I've already started to think about the writers that inspired me. Rod Serling, his journey, and being the writer for The Twilight Zone, which Scott Shepard actually also wrote for. But the writers in sports, James Feinstein, who does golf, but the guy that really inspires me was Frank DeFord, who wrote for Sports Illustrated for many years. And I already know these sound bites of them talking about where they get that inspiration, what the craft is like to actually be a writer. And that's what will be coming up next week. Clapper vision for Giannis's knee, hyperextension, which is what's going to change. It's already changing the way the playoffs are played, although Milwaukee continues to win, which is amazing. And I believe Giannis will be back because, thankfully, his MRI showed that he didn't tear his ACL, thank God, or his posterior cruciate ligament. But in order to hyperextend your knee, my best Clapper vision is a flip phone. Right? Remember those? Before we had our iPhones, we had flip phones. They opened and they closed. There was a hinge. Well, that's how your knee works. It's a hinge. And hyperextension is taking the flip phone and opening it beyond the hinges. Now, you can open it way open and actually crack and break the flip phone, which we've all done if we've had a flip phone. But if you take it to its limit and then bounce it back again where there is no breaking of the hinge... You are stretching the capsule in the back of your knee, and trust me, it is painful. If you leave it alone, and it will go on to heal. There's no reason to inject anything. You, you don't even need to wear a brace for it, but it bleeds. It makes scars, and the best healer is our own body, and it needs to be left alone. He is a big, strong, elite athlete, Giannis is. And you watch that knee hyperextend. What's so interesting to me is, and you can follow me on Twitter and you'll see that I pointed out, the same landing in a big man was Joel Embiid. But because of the angle of his leg when he landed, Joel Embiid tore his lateral meniscus. Giannis landed with his leg completely straight and then hyperextended his knee, but in a straight, like a pencil, a vertical position. And he was lucky because he didn't land with an angle like Joel Embiid did and tore his meniscus. He landed straight. He hyperextended his knee, but he's so strong. They all are, these elite basketball players. But he was lucky because his capsule and his muscles protected the internal ligaments, the ACL and the PCL. So I expect to see Giannis back. He's going to be missing. He missed already these games, but thank God his teammates are stepping up. But... I don't think they're going to be able to beat Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. It's my prediction. I think karma is on the side of Chris Paul. And as a Laker fan, I can only say one thing. Go Suns. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly here, Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. 
easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.